You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, PackersTotalAccess at gmail.com. You can text us, 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside a very special guest today. we got former Green Bay Packers running back, Mr. Daryl Thompson. Daryl, how are you doing this morning, pal? I'm doing well. I'm up. I'm rolling. I got the coffee. I got everything rolling, so where everything is good. You know, when I when I pitched the idea of an 8 a.m. kickoff here for the show, I'm thinking he's not going to bite on that. But here you are. So uh, you must be a morning person, too. I know you got the grandbaby there with you guys. and ready to I roll. am. My our, our daughter is a little bit sick. So um, we got the granddaughter today. She's got pink eyes. So we're, um, you know, we're on, you know, kind of full, full alert here. But she's doing good. And I am a little bit of a morning person. I think, you know, that's as you get a little bit older, you realize that mornings are probably the best thing, best time to get things done. And uh in the afternoons, you can uh, do whatever you want or need to do. So, yeah, I've become a morning person as I've gotten a little bit older. Definitely. I, I'm definitely sharper in the morning. You're probably going, if you're if this is as sharp as it gets, I'd hate to see you in the evening. But I'm telling you, as the day goes on, I just get – I'm so like <laughs> – by the time 9 o'clock hits in the evening, I'm such a I'm such a boomer myself now, man. I'm just uh, – I'm wore out. But um, obviously, let's get to the important stuff. Uh, President and CEO of Boulder Options. Right. You guys are mentoring. You've been doing it for some time now in Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul and Rochester. Uh, why don't we why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that, man? Because it's I could tell it's something just reading your website earlier this morning and digging into it. It's, uh, it's definitely something to be proud of. Um, well, I'm more than proud of it. It's just it's be really to be honest with you, Clayton, it's because my life's work. You know, when I was playing football, it was interesting. You know, I got drafted. It was blessed to be picked in the first round. And then probably, you know, the second year I was playing, um, you know, one of my dear friends and mentors, Michael Haddix, got cut from the team. And that was just like it was just like a gut blow. He had done everything, taught me all these things about coverage and the, the fronts and the defenses. And they cut him. And I was like, man, this is just not fair, you know, and. You know, but I always, always knew that, um, you know, I had to do something when football got done. So you realizing that football wasn't going to last really long time, you know, a long time in the NFL is, you know, eight to 10 years. And I, I just spent time with them youth in the offseason. So during that during that um, time, it just evolved. And I spent time with kids here in Minneapolis and St. Paul and Rochester and this program, Boulder Options, um, 
I was a volunteer there in the early years. And then as I got done with football, I started working there part-time. It grew to a full-time position. We're able to um, you know, establish an office, our 501c3 status. And then uh, we were a pilot program then, and I got named executive director back in the uh, the late 90s. And I've been president now for almost uh, you know seven or eight years. And we're serving kids here all over the state of Minnesota for you know 30 years. 30 years, the organization has been in existence. I've been with the organization for 28 of those 30 years. So it is... Uh, an honor and a blessing to be able to uh, to serve and to you know be part of the community here in, in the uh, in Minnesota. It's absolutely awesome. It's, it's, it just shows how you know college football in general it can be so impactful. Because if I understood correctly, you were you were born in St. Louis, right? Am I am I thinking right? Yep, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. So obviously, you got several D one offers. I think Nebraska was one, Wisconsin was one, and then you decide on a on the university of Minnesota. And now you're still up there doing, you found your life's work in that area. It's just, it's so cool, man, to see how sports can kind of take you to a certain aspect of your life. Right. And, and kind of find your life's work. It's just phenomenal. Now you had your, it was it your great aunt that was an Olympic gold medalist. Am I thinking right? Yeah. Yeah. It was my dad's, um, my dad's, my, my great aunt and she, Alice coachman, actually the first African-American to win a gold medal period in the United States. So it was, um, and I never met her. My dad stayed with her and both of my parents were college athletes as well. So my mom played, um, uh, basketball at historically back college, um, Alcorn. And my dad played at uh, two different colleges. Actually. Um, he played at Mary Holmes and he also played at, uh, uh, Clark college. So, but my parents met down South and, uh, my dad stared with, stayed with Alice a few times in the summertime and wondered why people were coming to the door to get autographs. And, she just kind of casually mentioned, oh, I won this gold medal, you know, back in <laughs> 1942 or something like that. And he's like, oh, you know, and then, you know, typical, like, you know, college kid, he's like, oh, that's kind of neat. You know, just thanks for, can you scramble me some eggs, you know, type of deal. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of moving on, you know. Yeah. And along the way, tearing down racial barriers. That's just absolutely awesome. Uh, yeah. you, got, you also had a brother and sister who played collegiate volleyball, right? If I understand correctly, um, you know, obviously you chose Minnesota. You've got two daughters and a son. Am I thinking right? That that all played uh, collegiate sports as well? Was that right? Two daughters and two sons. So my, my brother and sister played volleyball in college. And um, both of our daughters played volleyball in college, one at Wisconsin, one at San Diego State and VCU, and then we have um, a boy, two boys, one played at uh, here, University of Minnesota and finished at Mankato State. And then our youngest son is a uh, basketball player and he played at the um, University of Indiana. What's in the water at the Thompson house? I need to know. I mean, well, it goes all the way back to your great aunt. I married right. That's the key. I didn't. I, I, told, <laughs> I said, you, I said, if you, if you know, you, they don't, uh, you don't have, if you have a good horse, you don't just marry any of you. So you got to marry an athlete. <laughs> so I, I married right. I married, um, you know, Miss Basketball from the state of Iowa, you know, and um, wow. we were blessed enough to have some some very, very athletic kids. And um, so, yeah, that was that was probably the key, I think, is to to marry right. Uh, that's that'd be the key. There you go. That's a tip. I married. I married. I married up. Got to put it on the ticker. Put it on the <laughs> yeah. ticker. Marry up. Yeah. There you go. Um, and obviously you're still doing radio broadcasts there with Minnesota Golden uh, Gophers. You've been doing that since 98. Is that right? Because you I, listen, I'm I'm not trying to blow smoke here, but you look like you're max 35 years old. I'm just being <laughs> honest. But, uh, well, I sleep in coconut butter every night. I just sleep. That's, <laughs> that's it. Coconut butter. And I just pour coffee over the top of that. That's that's what I sleep in every night. So that, that keeps the skin. It keeps the skin smooth. Nice. There you go. All right. Put that on the ticker too. All right. Um, let's see. So let's kind of jump ahead to uh, 
to Green Bay, if that's all right with you. You know, obviously uh, drafted in the first round there in 1990. Um, I got a quick clip for you. Let's let's go back and relive that first touchdown run. You want to, Daryl? Here we go. Yeah, I'd love to. Green Bay with a second down and one on the 12. And there's a beautiful run by the rookie Thompson, changing directions for a touchdown for Green Bay. Twelve-yard run for Darrell Thompson. That is his first NFL touchdown. Packers getting excellent blocking up front. On Euchre in particular, Campbell that cutback. Oh yeah, those were the but days. <laughs> able to spot an opening to the outside and quick enough to change his direction. He's got great pick-a-hole eyes, and he found it. To take advantage of Chris Jackie, who has missed one conversion this year. Love it. Absolutely love it. And, you know, I, I was born in 82, Daryl. So that's the type of football I grew up with right there. You know, those old broadcasts and, uh, and obviously uh, it, you, you watch a game from that era. A large majority of the game, they don't even show the score. You're going, I don't even know what the score is. It's like they didn't keep it up at all. I just, the nostalgia is just amazing to me. I love that era. Um, obviously, you go to Green Bay. What was your – what's the first thing that comes to mind when I when I say what was it like to play football in Green Bay? Maybe specifically your rookie year. What stood out to you when you were drafted by the Packers there in the first round? You know, it's interesting. It was the rich history of Green Bay Packer football that I didn't really get until I got there. So you get there and they're like, well, you know, and this is, you know, this is whatever, 1990. So like they, we didn't have the phones. We didn't have all this stuff. Like, Hey, you know what? We're standing around waiting for you to do this press conference. Why don't you just walk around the Green Bay Packer Hall of Fame? So I go in the Green Bay Packer Hall of Fame at that point was across the street. So like to spend time. And I, I go down there and I see like Bart Starr and Nitschke and James Lofton and like these photos and this, you know, this room, I'm like, man, this is. There's some there's some serious history, the Super Bowls, the Ice Bowls, all that stuff. So I started to kind of soak it in and then being I was raised in Minnesota, being a Minnesota kid. The Vikings had lost in a Super Bowl. So there's still like this and there's it's still here. There's still like a pain. There's still a frustration. We've never won the Super Bowl. And the Packers have won multiple Super Bowls, you know, before I got there and, you know, able to win multiple Super Bowls after I left the Green Bay Packers. So that to me was the the most impressive part. And then the fan base, like to this day, you would think, I mean, I was like a regular Packer. I wasn't like, you know, um, you know, some superstar, Brett Favre, Reggie White, Aaron Rodgers. I, that's, I'm, just, I'm a regular Packer. And the fan base, you would think when I go back and do like golf terms, you would think I scored the winning touchdown in like four Super Bowls in a way. Not quite to that level, but I mean, people are, they're nice, they're they're appreciative. And that's how we got connected. My friends were saying, hey, man, there's a clip of you, man. This, so, I, you know, I like it, you know, and then we get connected, you know. So there's a um, the fan base for the Green Bay Packers. I don't know other fan base. I think there's some other really strong ones. You know, I think the Steelers are strong and I think there's some, there's some other fan base that the Raiders are another strong one, but I don't think there's quite a fan base that's similar to the Green Bay Packers. And the fact that one of my kind of funny broadcast partners I met around here in the Twin Cities says, almost everywhere you go, you will see someone and you'll see that G. It'll be on a car. It'll be on a sweatshirt. It'll be someone. He says he takes pictures and send them to his buddy. He goes, the G is always around, which yeah. is very true. The G 
is always around. So, I mean, that's a really, really long answer, but um, no, it was, uh, it, it's, it means a lot. It's a great answer. You know, I just got back from Florida, took a little trip down there. I know we were messaging back and forth while I was down there in uh, Orlando and everywhere you went, you seen Packers gear. It was just amazing. Oh, yeah. um, it's just such a cool fan base. And uh, that's what this show is. It's, it's very, I have people message me sometimes, Daryl, you know how it is on social media. Like you're such yeah, a homer. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do. That's what we do. Right. Um, so when you arrived in green Bay in 1990, um, I, th- I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you were the first round pick and then Leroy, if I remember correctly, he was drafted in the second round that same year. Am I thinking right? Leroy Butler. Yeah. Yeah. Leroy is a good friend. I talked to him now nah, probably about once a month. He's uh, he's hilarious. I love him. He's an amazing man. Amazing man. Such a, like every time Leroy speaks, Packer fans should listen because he, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He loves this organization, loves everything about the history, everything you just talked about. But when you guys got there in 1990, what was the culture like? Like, you know, <clears throat> you're coming – that organization's coming out of, you know, a couple of decades really of just, you know, I don't want to say bad play, but, you know, you go from the Lombardi years, right, and then you step into the 70s and the 80s, and and you kind of had that bar already raised that, look, this is title town. This is where you win championships. And then you, you kind of come in kicking off the 90s there in 1990 being drafted. What did you feel like the culture was when you stepped in? Or, or maybe as a young football player, was it like – I just have blinders on. I don't really pay attention to. Was it a losing culture? What have you? It was a. It was just. It was a disconnect. You know, I didn't. I didn't know, and I never. Obviously, never played pro football before. Hadn't been around. It was a. I'd say an unhealthy culture. So people were, um, you know, just out. They didn't care about the. The they weren't worried about. They weren't doing the little things that it takes to be successful. You know, yeah. so there's little things, taking care of your body, getting rest, getting massage, doing the extra um, film work, um, you know, not drinking during the week. All, all the things that um, that happened later that evolved through um, partly through the coaching staff and partly through the um, the leadership on the team, because good teams have are player driven and coach driven. And that was not taking place on, on this team. It was the coaches were doing everything they could. But the culture was eroding and the players were um, just kind of running around town doing whatever they wanted to do. And football was not the primary focus. And you don't win if football is not your primary focus. We had uh, Tony Mandarich on several months ago and he would echo that. You know, I kind of gave him an out a little bit, Daryl. I'm like, hey, look, you know, everybody looks at you as this this draft bust. Right. And and you you step in. And obviously they had been losing for two decades. So it's not like all of a sudden you guys got there and all oh, were horrible. Right. You know, you guys being Tony and Tony was like, listen, I, I can't, like I said, I kind of teed up and out for him. And he was like, it was all on me. I didn't take it serious. I was all about myself. I wasn't consumed with football. I was consumed with everything else and just took complete ownership of it. So he pretty much echoes the same message. You just said that there's guys just, kind he of didn't, like, he didn't have the leadership, you know, and it, I mean, Tony and I love Tony. He's a great guy. I played against him in college, played with him in the NFL. Uh, it wasn't, it, it wasn't Tony. I mean, he could take some of the blame like, Hey, you know what? If someone brings you into this bar and you start drinking, then yeah, it's your fault. But that right. was, that was the culture at that point. It wasn't, it wasn't healthy. Um, and the leadership on the team wasn't really going really in the right direction. So, um, yeah, I mean, he could take some of the blame. I take some of the blame. It was it was a tough time to be a um, a Green Bay Packer, especially in that in in that isolated in the isolated situation that we were all in at that point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's fast forward to 1992. 
92, you guys go nine and seven, right? And if I remember correctly, that's the year that, uh, that, that did Mike Holmgren come in in 92 or was it 93? I think he came in in 93, if I remember correctly, but nonetheless, 92. What changed in 92 that you guys kind of shifted gears and you go to nine and seven? The reason I wanted to have you on the show, Daryl, is because the Packers' current team, they're kind of in a similar situation, right? You had a down year last year. This year, you've got an opportunity to win out and win nine games. Very the youngest team in the league. I'm just trying to draw some parallels because really that 92 season, everyone loves to look at 96 when they won the Super Bowl. But 92, in my opinion, probably the most important year of the entire 90s decade because you guys kind of turned it around, created a winning culture and and really ramped this thing up. I think you went nine and seven that year. You went nine and seven the next year, then nine and seven again, and then kind of got over the hump, obviously. But you were there in 92 when you guys went nine and seven. What do you think the big difference was there? What changed? Oh, I mean, I think it was Mike Holmgren. I, I want to say it was the first year of um, of Coach Holmgren coming to the team, listening to the players, changing the the, the practice, the way we practice, changing the way he, um, you know, addressed the team and um, allowing the team to be more player led. You know, and that was um, that was one of the pieces to me that um what Mike Holmgren did, he said, I want to hear from your players. I want to hear from my leaders, my, my leaders. And he established a, um, a, a player's council where they'd come and sit with him and they'd talk, you know, and kind of whatever, eat pizza and chat. And they'd come back and talk to the team. So he had, you know, obviously, um, you know, the some of the leaders that were on the team as part of that. And um, they kind of came and went. So, I mean, the number one piece was, uh, you know, Mike Holmgren um, joining the team. And then, you know, some players that were maybe part of that, unhealthy culture were were starting to be let go and he was establishing a new culture he said either you get on um with this new culture or are we going to move on away from you so that was to me that was the beginning of being healthy and um you know starting to turn the um the, the team and the program and the uh, green bay pack organization around got it got it then of course in 1993 um you guys go out and you sign reggie watt i've got to ask daryl what was your experience with Reggie Watt? I've talked to several of his teammates. Uh, Mike Wall, a young Mike Wall offensive lineman, went up against Reggie, right, his rookie year in practice. And he was like, Reggie was just different. He was a different kind of strong. When you hit Reggie, you felt it. Um, obviously, you being you know on the opposite side, you guys practiced against each other, I would imagine, 93. Um, what uh, What's kind of the big takeaway with Reggie? What stood out to you about Reggie? Well, number one was his faith. And then number two was his, he was a man, like he was a man's man's man. So there wasn't any, you know, no messing around and, and all fun. I mean, on the football field, but off the field, he was fun. He was, um, he had, you know, uh, a really, really great sense of humor and he's a great family man. And he had a, he had a really good time. So, but to me on the field, his, um, his strength and his stamina were incredible. And he's right. I mean, his he had um, like there's some really really strong guys, and then there's like the uh, you know the Wilt Chamberlain, um, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger type of like I have like this almost superhuman type of strength um, and balance and coordination, and and that's what Reggie had, and it was something to not be tampered with, and he didn't abuse it. You know, he never like, you know, when in the NFL, you got to practice against each other. And, um, you know, if I had to go block Reggie, he could have just rolled me over anytime. It's like, you know what? I just went and I tapped his leg. Goes, it doesn't do me good to beat you up in practice. You know, <laughs> he was he was saving it for the game. He could run over my little 220 pound 
<laughs> so anytime he wanted to, he's like, why would I do that? I'm hurt you, you know, just to run to the quarterback. No class act all the way around. Yeah. I'm not sure if you got the, got a chance to see the 30 for 30 minister to, of defense that just came out. Gosh, it was amazing. Um, did you get a chance to watch it yet or not? No, you know what? I have it taped, but I'm not, I just saw it on our system here. Just like, I don't know, like last week or something, but I'm not, I've not got to it yet, but I will be. It is amazing. It is, man. You, you think you've got all the respect in the world for a man. And then you watch that and, you, and me, you know, being on the outside as a fan, obviously come away going even more respect, just how he was just, God, just an amazing person. Absolutely amazing person. I got a chance to meet his, his wife um, in green Bay. They had like an autograph session or whatever. This was back in the early two thousands uh, when they retired his number at Lambeau and what an amazing family, just amazing group of people. Um, True leader in every sense of the word. I'm located in Tennessee. You probably tell with the accent, <laughs> but <laughs> obviously he uh, just done so many good things down here in Tennessee, going to UT uh, down here in Knoxville, down the road, and uh, just an amazing person. Um, so Sterling I played. Uh, I was I was broadcasting a game, and I, I did uh, Charles Davis. Um, now he's in the NFL, and he was doing college games this is early in my broadcasting career. And you know, players just talking. Hey, you want to know a little bit about your team? And he's talking about. Um, I said, Oh, you said you played the three. He goes. I played with Reggie in college. He goes, I thought I was a really good defensive back. He said, and then I realized it was Reggie. He said, B was, he said, they were throwing me balls when I was a freshman. You know, he said, and then he said, Reggie left. He said, all of a sudden, I was like, I'm a regular defensive back. But he said, when the quarterback is terrified, he said, he's, he said, it makes me look like I'm, you know, uh, you know, Lem Barney or Deion Sanders back there. He said, but when he's not terrified, he said, I'm Charles Davis. He said so, but. Uh, Great guy. And um, yeah, he was, he was funny and kind of, you know, uh, self, uh, you know, self-aware. Great, great person. You said Charles Davis, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I believe he's an NFL um, analyst uh, right now. He was a college analyst at that point. And we just crossed paths like in the, in the hallway when I was broadcasting, we just kind of just chatting each other a little bit about um, our team. Just a little. It's such a, yeah, such a small world. He actually went to high school about 15 minutes from where I'm located up in a place called Elizabeth in Tennessee yeah. back in the sticks. So uh, yeah, Charles is great at what he does. I love following his broadcast or anything. Obviously he's worked for Fox now. I think he's with CBS now does a great job. Knows so much about the game. So well-spoken to, um, I got to ask you before we let you go here, I know we're up against the gun and I appreciate you taking time, time to jump on here with us. Sterling Sharp, you played with him a little bit as well, right? Um, I did. I did. And I'll, I, you know, Sterling is the best football player that I ever played with. Wow. Or against that is not in the Hall of Fame. And Sterling is the smartest football player that I ever played with. I mean, Sterling, I could tell you story after story about his intelligence, his awareness, his confidence. I don't think I ever played with anyone who was more confident than Sterling Sharp either. Sterling Sharp would a little bit like a Larry Bird or something. He's like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to do it to you. <laughs> so that is like the ultimate, like, you know, like I could do that to my, like, you know, my, my son, you know, when he's 12 years old and I'm, you know, 35 years old, but I'm, I mean, he was the, one of the best football players and should be in the hall of fame, you know, I'd be in the, hopefully um, one day that will happen. Yeah. We, how do we make that happen? How do we do that there? Like, well, I think it's raising the awareness. It's also, it's tough, you know, every single year there's a great class and not very many guys, go in, you know, it's just, that's the NFL, you know, Leroy had the opportunity to go in and went in and you know, it's one more vote. And I'm sure he's voting for Sterling and I don't know exactly how it all works, but I think it's, you know, you, you need to lobby, you need to have people whose brothers in there, Leroy's in there. There's a whole bunch of defensive backs that are probably like, eh, I didn't like covering that cat. So <laughs> I would think there's, um, 
I hope, I mean, I hope it happens. You know, I don't have any sway, you know, other than you know, my little voice that I have on, you know, on the radio and, uh, you know, my influence I might have around town, but, uh, hopefully it happens. Got it. Got it. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, we can't thank you enough for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation. I, you know, finding you on Twitter and, uh, and you know, the cesspool that can be Twitter, it's, it's nice to find some positive on Twitter every now and then. And, uh, and it's, it's going to be awesome talking to you in the future. We really appreciate your time. Um, is there anything that we can do for Boulder Options? Is there, is there any way that people can donate, we can contribute? Is there anything we can do to Boulder Options as far as uh, helping uh, helping you continue to mentor the youth there in Minneapolis and, and the surrounding areas? Well, we're in our year-end push right now. You know, I was at my desk yesterday. It's the final letter. It's the final push for this for the year-end. So if someone wants to donate, they can go to our website, boulderoptions.org. And um, we're founded in Boulder, Colorado. That's where the name came from. But boulderoptions.org, we're... We're running, biking, and uh, setting goals with youth around the state of Minnesota um, and have been for the last 30 years, and hopefully we'll continue to do that. So if someone wants to support us, they can go to our website. So, yeah, thank you very much, Clayton. Oh, Daryl, thank you so much for your time, buddy. We really appreciate you. All right, that was Daryl Thompson, like I said, former 
Green Bay Packer, amazing person out there continuing to uh, to make a difference um, in his community, all that stuff. I love hearing stories from from some of the players that that played in these different eras because this was a different time, man. When you when you talk about when you watch the uh, when you watch the tape of those guys playing football in the nineties, man. Oh my gosh. Like Emilio, we bring Emilio in here from Tennessee. Now I, I was watching the highlights when I pulled that clip of him, you know, with his first touchdown, mm-hmm. watching the hits. It's like, Oh, oh yeah. gosh. Oh my gosh. And it's why I get so, so aggravated when some fans, you know, they're like, Oh, it's a soft game now, this and that, you know, it has changed. Absolutely. But for the better, man, it was when I watched concussion that, the movie concussion when I realized, you know what, you need to stop trying to act like a tough guy because I was that, I was that guy that was constantly going, man, they're ruining the game, changing the rules. And you know, with all this concussion stuff, look at what these old players had to put up with. You're changing the game. And to hear some of the stories with the Mike Webster's and, and, and all those, man, I was in tears watching that movie. It broke me down. Like I'm sitting over here trying to act like a tough guy, you know, ah, you're ruining the game. That's the Kleenex, Manny. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, Seeing, seeing what they went through, and uh, and to lay the foundation for the league. It's people like like Daryl that uh, that helped lay it. You know, spent what four or five years in the league, um, if I remember correctly. I think four years, um, and now found his life's work outside of football. Man, that's what it's all about. What do you think about that, man? How, how about that for a football life? Being able to be drafted one round ahead of Hall of Famer Leroy Butler, right? First round pick. And then you come in and you get coached by Mike Holmgren, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you played with Brett. Um, got to play with Reggie Watt, um, you know, Sterling Sharp, Milio. That's just that's, imagine, imagine yeah, that ball. That is awesome. I mean, it's it, it, one thing, let alone would be awesome. You stack all those on top of each other; it's unreal. Um, and like you said, he came from a family of athletes, generational talent of athletes. Uh, you know, uh, g- across generations, they and and you know different sports, everything. So it's just it's incredible to see. Honestly, um, I was watching that one uh, the one highlight of his uh, his ninety eight yard touchdown run against Michigan. So once he he broke through and that lean, it looked like he was a you looked like he was an a-, a DN. You know what I'm saying? Like right. he came around that bend and just was like parallel to the ground, basically. Yeah, he's a, a physical specimen, man. And like he said, uh, his wife was a collegiate athlete. You hear about all the accolades in the family, like all the way back to his great aunt that was yeah, uh, literally the, the first black – black, not just first black woman to win a gold medal, but the first black athlete to win a gold medal. Right. Like, that blew me away. I didn't even know that part going into the interview. Um, and then, of course, brother and sister both co- played collegiate volleyball got four kids. I think, I think he said they were all collegiate athletes at the yep. time. I, when I was looking, I thought there was only three of them, but it sounds like all four athletes. Um, yeah. Like you said, guys, put it on the ticker, marry up. All right. Marry <laughs> up. That's the key to life. Marry up. So uh, with that being said, let's go to the, uh, the chat here. I know we were on a limited time. I appreciate uh, um, Daryl taking time away from oh, the family. Like sure. I said, got a sick grandbaby and, uh, 100%. And helping his, uh, he said his wife's getting ready to teach a yoga class, so <laughs> he stepped downstairs to get on here. And, so and during the holidays, I mean, you can't yeah. you can't thank him enough for hopping on. Absolutely, man, absolutely. Uh, let's go to the chat here real quick. Sideline report says Reggie White and Gilbert Brown were dogs. I didn't even ask him about Gilbert Brown, mm. but that was interesting too. Trying to run against him in practice, that big hog ball, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. One of those wrap ups. Can we just get a wrap up? We don't need to tackle him to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Let's see here. Uh, Omer in the chat says, I loved Reggie when he was an Eagle. Uh, when they made the trade, I was over the moon. Yeah, every I, I, I haven't found one fan that didn't like Reggie. What's crazy is even even the Eagle fans, they were okay with him leaving because it was like, yeah, go go get the money you deserve. You know what right. I mean? Usually a fan base is kind of toxic on with a player on the way. I mean, look at how it happened with Brett Favre. Look how it happened with – you go all the way down the line. Greg Jennings, it was toxic when he left. Uh, obviously, Aaron this last year got ugly. Reggie left. It's it's almost like the Philly fans are like, Reggie, do what you got to do, buddy. We right. like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for everything you've done here. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he was uh, he was a dog. Hey, did you have you get a chance to watch that thirty for thirty yet, Emilio? I started I started watching it from the beginning last night. I got through about like forty five minutes of it. It is wild, man. It's, yeah. the end is just so good um, because I remember kind of keeping up with that whole story from the outside looking in. I wasn't a huge, you know. I was a knucklehead. I was in my early 20s at the time. I had no clue what was going on. But uh, to see how he kind of stepped out of the norm and and tried to find his his own truth to his mm-hmm. faith, um, it's amazing how people will get criticized for trying to find a little more truth. It's almost like society teaches you, shut up, fall in line, we'll tell you what to think. And anytime anybody gets out of that that norm, they try to paint you out as a bad guy. I love that Reggie – Reggie did that and kind of uh, dug a little deeper. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, he basically um, Christian faith his whole life and then decided, you know what, why don't I go back and and try to learn the original Hebrew text and and understand what, you know, being a Christian it is. If you're if you're not, it's totally cool. Bear with me here. All right. But basically, Reggie's saying, let me let me go read what text that Jesus studied. Right. Mm-hmm. And when he got to digging into those texts, it was like, holy cow, there's a lot here that I missed. And the church pushed back on him a bit. Um, society pushed back on him at times. And it was just so cool that he had those blinders on, just like he did on the football field. Like, I'm going to find my truth, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. And uh, that's what true leaders do, man. Yeah, and he was saying that he was going to test the NFL because they kept saying that, like, he couldn't pray he couldn't pray on the, on the sideline before the game right. or after the game or whatever. And said, all right, let me just make sure that – that they're actually going to do something about that. And he just kept rolling with it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right, let's do this, man. Let's talk uh, for a second here. Let's talk about the standings. Anybody got a question in the chat, anything, any comment, any topic y'all want to hit on? I was prepared to go the full show with Daryl, but wanted to respect his time too. So uh, I think we got got all the questions I wanted answered in there. I wanted to hear about his time in Green Bay, which it was so cool hearing about that. But mm-hmm. – and I'm, sure, and I'm sure if you if you we were to get him back on, he's got a hundred more stories just like that. You know, he's got I'm sure he's got one for Brett, one for Sterling. You know, you know, like you said, Reggie, everything. He he could go on and on about how smart they were, how how you know effective they were as football players. Everything, man. They're they're pro athletes. Um, any bit of information we can you know we can dig out of him is great. Yeah, absolutely, man. I know I had a screenshot here of the, of the updated standings. I'm gonna see if I can run it down real quick. This is good podcast here. Just yeah, randomly looking for something here. But uh yeah, I wanted to get the updated ones. I know I had them before the Rams game and some things have shifted. I could always just read it off to you guys too if we can't get it to screenshot here. Let's see if it'll screenshot real quick. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a little wonky like it always is, but these are the NFC standings. And um just to kind of show you guys there's a little glimmer of hope a little bit. <laughs> we'll kind of we'll kind of talk about uh, a few of the scenarios of some of the upcoming games to see what Green Bay has to do to potentially get into the playoffs, which, um, like I said, it's, you know, it's just winning out, right? 
That's the thing. Take care of business, man. Take care of business. San Francisco in the one seed. You got Dallas in the two, Detroit in the three, Tampa in the four at seven and seven. Um, Philly at number five at 10 and four. The LA Rams are now the sixth seed at eight and seven. If you've won the last two weeks, that would be the Packers right now, right? That's what that's what hurts. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the Rams play the Giants this week. That should be a win for them with how the Rams are playing, although we know any given Sunday. Um, in the seventh seed, you got Minnesota at seven seven. Seattle at seven and seven in the eight, the nine spot. You've got New Orleans at seven and eight, the Atlanta Falcons at number 10 at six and eight, and then the Green Bay Packers in the 11th spot at six and eight. So essentially, you got to win out. And even then, you need a little bit of help from what I understand. But uh, you got Minnesota coming up next week, I believe it is in Minnesota. That's one where you can kind of control your own destiny. You just got to take care of business this week. Um, obviously, traveling to Carolina, that's going to be the, the big thing. And then Need a little bit of help. So if we look at the games to watch, Emilio, this week, it's a little blurry. I'll read it off to you. I just showed here that that obviously the Rams beat the Saints uh, there just the other night. Um, today we've got some football, but it's just all AFC matchups. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. you got Buffalo at the Chargers. And then tomorrow, man, we've got football all day long. you got the Indianapolis Colts at the Atlanta Falcons. I've got Indy circled. Um, you know, obviously you want every NFC team to lose from here on out. I don't care about, well, if this one wins the division and that, look, let's win our games and let's make sure these as many of these teams are losing as possible. That's what I was trying to say several weeks ago when people were trying to hang on to, well, we can still win the North. We can still, Let's focus on getting these teams beat down as much as possible <laughs> so we can slide into that six or seven seed. That should be the goal here. But uh, Green Bay at Carolina, that's a one o'clock kickoff, same time as the Indy Atlanta game. You got the one o'clock kickoff, Detroit at Minnesota. I'm going to be wearing my Lions gear for that one under yeah. my Packers gear. You want the Lions to come away uh, with the win there, which feel pretty good about that one. Um, you know, especially with Nick Mullins. Like to me, they, they are not playing good football in Minnesota outside of the defense here recently. Um, right. Seattle at Tennessee, you're obviously pulling for the Titans to win that, that game there. And then we got, uh, the four o'clock slates we'll talk about, but right here, what do you think about our chances, Emilio? Indy at Atlanta, obviously us at Carolina, Detroit at Minnesota, and then Seattle at Tennessee. When we look at the standings, if we bounce back one more time here, Seattle obviously one spot ahead of us. That's uh, that's going to be kind of a big game there, man. If somehow yeah. some way Tennessee can pull off that win in the one o'clock slot too, right? Oh, we we need Tennessee there, one hundred percent, and and uh, Indy. Indy would would be awesome as well. You know, we already lost to Atlanta, so any any losses we can get stacked on top of them is going to be huge. Like you said, we are paper bag fans to uh to or Sunday. We'll throw it on underneath the Packers jersey and uh and we'll watch that game. Uh but uh no, seriously, I mean, we have to show up, right? Um for Carolina and uh and really we just need some help. But we can't control anything else, so we just have to go out there and play our 60 minutes. And then look up at the end, you know, we can't be scoreboard watching the whole game just to see, hey, you know, if, if Detroit, you know, was losing or if, um, you know, if uh, Indy's getting smacked or something, we can't just, you know, not stop balling right then because, hey, we're out of it. Like, that's that's the last thing I want to see is them sort of give up just because they think that they're out of it. Um, yeah. So we, we want to see them play through. That's the thing, too. Like, it, whether you make the playoffs or not, what we're trying to do is create momentum. Momentum is a real thing in the NFL, and it carries over from year to year. It really does. So uh, to, the thought of, well, let's just lose and get a better draft pick, that's why I've never I've never subscribed to that thought process. I get it. Some fans love the draft as much or more than they love the game itself, right? Um, they, 
some people are rolling their eyes saying, oh, there's no way. I'm telling you, they're out there. They would much rather have a higher draft pick than win a football game. But what they're not taking into consideration is the momentum you can create, the culture that you're developing. You you want the remaining – you want the returning players of that team coming back next year thinking, we've got a shot. Mm-hmm. We, we finished on a good note. We were doing things right at the end of the year. And to think that it's okay to just, oh, no, lose. Imagine a player in that locker room who's busting their – arse mm-hmm. to constantly put themselves in a better position right and get the get the team on the right track and then to think for a second that someone in the organization is like well i don't know no, i'd rather have a better draft pick right just yeah. it's not the thought process coaches or the players and that's what was so mind-boggling about the russell douglas trade would you rather come into next season nine and eight or six and eleven i mean you know we're all off season yeah dude you know we had double digit losses or yeah dude we had you know, one more win than a loss. That, that's what I'm looking at. Let's let's come out positive above 500. You know, let's not uh, let's not fall into that trap of being six and eleven. Yeah, definitely. We got Jacob now from the Packernet Fantasy Podcast. My man, been, oh, man. been busy, busier than a possum in a dumpster here lately. <laughs> Jacob, what's going on, big dog? How you doing this morning? Man, not bad. I uh, I sent a text to Emilio, and I said, "Are we going live at 8? And uh, what do you say? Something about Daryl Thompson. I have no idea what that means. So I went, all right, whatever. And then I looked up and I was like, oh, they're live. Was, was, yeah, we're, oh, I forgot he's central. Right. Oh, right. no. Welcome to my world. I've had to deal with this for two years now. I'm bad, going, I feel like I'm doing like trigonometry over here trying to figure okay, he's doing it. And then I'm doing interviews with people out west. Like we did the Tony Mandrich interview. I'm like, okay, you're in Arizona. What time? They don't so, even do it. They don't even do, uh, uh, you know, fall back and stuff in Arizona. That'll throw you off even more. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. That would confuse the heck out of my life. <laughs> I'm just starting. So, yeah, sorry. If I'd have seen it, if I hadn't been talking to you, there, I would have let you know, Jacob. So I apologize. Nah, um, Doug in the chat says, Holmgren and Wolf made an effort to make Green Bay more welcoming to young black men. Brought in barbers like MKE Weekly, catered, southern, quote, southern food, etc. Leroy Butler talked about that a lot, too. Um, he did. Um, it's just a it was a cool kind of shift in the culture for sure. Um, I'll tell you someone else who doesn't get credit for that type of approach. Um, and, and in a time when it was much more prevalent, I should say, um, Vince Lombardi, way ahead of his time. You know, there's a story if you watch his football life. I can't remember which player it was, but essentially there was one of his one of his black players was dating a white woman. Right. And caught a lot of flack for it. And someone from the league at the time came to Vince and basically said, you can't tell me how to run my team. Like he jumped down their throat. Like you look, I I run my team, how I want to run my team. You worry about yours. Essentially is what he said. He was having none of it. And uh, basically he went to that player and approached him about it. You know, with Vince being Italian American growing up in New York, many people think that there's only one race or two races that get scrutinized. Guys, you can go through multi-cultures across the history of the country. Italians were scrutinized when they came to the country, right? Irish, believe it, believe it or not, look into Irish slavery. How many Irish, uh, you know, people were enslaved for so long, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's something that's happened throughout time, obviously, with multi-cultures. But Vince went to that player, though, and he said the player was kind of like, oh, crap, he's going to tell me I can't date her or whatever. And he's like, listen, I've got your back, essentially, is what Vince told him. And you should see this guy's reaction telling the story and how emotional he got. I think it was actually his – he ended up marrying her. 
um, and Vince kind of gave him his blessing. Um, so, yeah, it's cool to see Holmgren and Wolf kind of carry that on too, man, because it, race is just so stupid, man. It's right. just, it drives me crazy even talking about it. But uh, that's why it's so important to acknowledge the people who fought through that adversity, like like we talked about Daryl's great aunt did, you know, becoming the first uh, black American athlete to uh, to win a gold medal. It's just amazing. But um, let's see here. Uh, let's get back to the games to watch here. Four o'clock window. Jacksonville at Tampa. Tampa's like my new rival, man. I can't stand Tampa after last huh. week. That makes me just want to choke people. I used to like Tampa. Too. I, it was one of those things that, like, ah, I kind of like their uniforms. Love yeah. Mark Allsott in the 90s. Now I'm like the hell oh, yeah. with Tampa. Whatever. I hope they fall flat on their face. Jacksonville at Tampa. Jacksonville, pretty good ball club. We need to know if Trevor Lawrence is playing in that game. If anybody knows in the chat, hit us up. Jamie, look that up. Yeah. <laughs> See if you can figure out if Trevor Lawrence is healthy yet or not because that's going to play a big role big factor in that game. I can't remember if he played last week or not, but it's going to be a four o'clock kickoff in Tampa. Tampa are actually three point favorites there. And then of course you got Dallas at Miami in the 425 slot. Miami is a one point favorite there. Um, I've got Dallas. I've, I've got Dallas circled there just because, you know, I don't think it really plays a role um, as much. So if we look back at the standings, Dallas is the number two seed. You want them to kind of hold on to that, I guess. Um, it don't really matter, but, that's probably why I circled Dallas. You guys know I'm pulling for for Coach Mike um, anytime he's not playing the Packers. These are my personal picks of who I would like to see win the games. Some people were going, there you go, rooting for Dallas again, Clayton. Tired of seeing it. Um, what do you guys think about this, Jake? Let me ask you, man. Jacksonville at Tampa, um, that's the big one there in the 4 o'clock window. We need Tampa to drop one there. We need all these NFC teams to lose that that are toward the bottom there fighting for that 6-7 seed. You like your chances, Jacksonville at Tampa, man? Yeah, it sounds like Trevor Lawrence is in the concussion protocol, I believe, still. And that backup was C.J. Beathard, which I don't know if you guys remember him. He was, I believe, a backup in San Francisco at one point. Yeah, that's not familiar. Yeah. I don't think – I don't maybe maybe he didn't beat the Packers, but I know I watched him beat some – maybe they beat the Vikings one. Anyways, he's a capable quarterback, but he's not anything I'm necessarily worried about as far as – I don't know, man. I just – like you said, Tampa Bay really, really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I used to be – if I ever had, I was never one of those guys that's like, my second favorite team is blah, blah, blah. I've always been diehard Packers. But the two people that I've loved in the NFL, just for no, like Mike Allstott and John Lynch. My, I wore number 47 because John Lynch was my favorite bumper of all time. And then on the other side, dude, Mike Allstott. I, that was yeah. watching that dude run. I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That whole defense, too, man. Like, especially, you know, when Tony Grungy really got it to its peak. I mean, Rondé Barber. Uh, Ooh, Derek yeah, Brooks right. in the middle. Simeon um, Rice, wasn't he on that team too? Simeon Rice. Was Warren, Warren on that one? Warren oh, Sapp. Yeah. I know many Packer fans don't like Warren Sapp because they, you know, him and yeah. him, he and Brett had that little rivalry, which they were friends. A lot of people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, just two Southern boys going at it constantly. That that Tampa Bay team was a lot of fun to watch, man. And when they changed those uniforms up, it's that's when everything changed. It was like, man, remember, they had a new identity. Remember work done, too? Oh yeah, work done from Florida State. He didn't get a lot of credit, but he was he was a beast. You put him and Allstott in the backfield. What are you going to do to stop that running game? Right. Allstott will smack you in the mouth with a lead block, then they'll hand it on a fullback mm-hmm. belly, and <laughs> good luck tackling that big guy. That dude had a head like a dump truck, man. <laughs> uh, sideline report says we need the Seahawks and Falcons to lose. All right, so I definitely trust sideline report. Love love your work, man. Love following you on Twitter, YouTube, all that. Um, 
yeah, we need the Seahawks and the Falcons to lose. So let's jump back to those games real quick, right? When you look at the, the Seahawks, we haven't talked about yet, I don't think, but the Falcons game, um, obviously Indy at, at Atlanta. Indy's got a little bit of momentum, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I think they won again last week, but they are two-and-a-half-point dogs down there in Atlanta. If it wasn't Christmas Eve, I could see two of these games I might be interested in going to. Right. Indy at Atlanta and Seattle at Tennessee. So it's rowdy in that stadium, man. At Atlanta, it gets uh... – it, it's not quiet down there. So, but at least at least Indy's used to a you know infield stadium, and they just gotta they gotta get through the bird's nest. That's what they call it down there. So, I like it. Sideline report says if the Packers win and the Seahawks and Falcons both lose, the Packers will go to the eight playoff spot. Okay, so the Packers win and the Seahawks and the Falcons lose. Let's pull it up one more time here. We'll go to the eight spot, which will put up knocking on the door there, right? Mm -hmm. Knocking on the door. And if the Lions do their job. Mm -hmm. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, so if the Lions beat the Vikings... We'll probably be right around there, right? With that, I'd like to... Sideline report, do you know the answer to that question? Let's say those two things happen, or those three things happen. The Packers win, the Seahawks and the Falcons both lose, and the Vikings lose. Um, will the Vikings still be technically in that seven spot? I know it really doesn't matter because we'll be able to control our own destiny. They're playing Minnesota and knocking them down next week. But uh, see if we've got an answer to that, too. That, mm -hmm. that would be interesting, too, because if we could get the DeVito-led Giants to knock down uh, the Rams one more game, that sets us up for the next couple of weeks. We could maybe even – does he uh, – on the report, does he know what the still the best, best possible highest ranking we could get is if everything – all the stars align? I imagine it's the eight seed, but I or the seven seed. I don't think it's out of the six, but I could be wrong there. Um, I mean, if you look at it, if the, if the if all of these teams lose, right? If the Rams lose out, which would make them what eight and ten, right? Yeah. So or they just eight they, and nine. They're getting eight and nine. Yeah, yeah right. So if they can be as eight and nine, and we went out, we're nine and eight. Then we could leapfrog leapfrog the Rams for sure. Right. right? Yeah, he said. There you go. Sideline just said number six would be the number highest. Would be the best. Okay. He's got it all, all on lock here. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for the information there. Um, let's see here. Let's go back to a little Warren Sapp talk. Doug, bringing back some old memories here. He's going to make us hate him now. He said, Sapp did, did the cheap shot on Shad Clifton. That was the game where Mike Sherman screamed at Sapp for the cheap shot after the game, and Sapp said, put a jersey on. Listen, That's I right. love I love uh, what Brett referred to Mike Sherman as Sugar Bear, right? <laughs> I like Mike. I love what Mike Wall said the other day too. If you guys caught that interview, he said he was like a lawyer, like he was so calculated in what he would what he would say to you. He was one step ahead. It was just constantly he knew exactly what he was trying to get, especially out of that offensive line with Mike Sherman being an offensive line guy. But I love Mike Sherman. But 
I got to be honest with you guys. That hit on Clifton, I had no problem with it. Like, I, wasn't that on like a reception return, an interception return, or something? It did like a right. kind of, Clifton didn't have his head on swivel. You know, mm. he was kind of trotting upfield, and Sap took his shot. Let me, Those were the best crackbacks. <laughs> oh my good golly god! This is the guy. I'm the guy that got thrown out of high school baseball games. Okay, so you got to yeah. understand where I'm coming from. You've already seen what I like, so I I love uh, like if that had been a Packer do that. Worth the flag, throw a flag. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Worth it. You're sending a message. You're here's the other thing too. You're taking out arguably one of the best, probably the best offensive lineman at the time too. Right. That team. I mean, if you're still standing up straight and the other dude is horizontal, that was a. I mean, that is a great hit. That 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 is what we're looking for. Too bad they took him out. But right. I mean, I used yeah. to do it all the time back in Madden. You know, you just do just do kickoff <laughs> returns just on repeat and just loop back around and just wait to absolutely. <laughs> I, I remember, I mean, that was what you kind of, yeah, that's what they coached in special teams. Like Absolutely. I graduated in 2006, I was the long snapper and, 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 you know, you couldn't touch the snapper. So I'd get a free shot off the line and I'd go to the second level and I would just curl back loop around, back around. Yes. Somebody not looking. And, and like, what are you taught if you're Chad Clifton in that situation? You're taught to keep your head on a swivel. Mm-hmm. You got you got caught. Yeah, it is what it is, right? Um, you better now, have your tongue. You better I, have your tongue in your mouth on that one, or else. I, shit, you're gonna lose that. You're gonna lose <laughs> about a quarter of that tongue if you don't. It's gonna be dangling. Um, now, as far as Mike Sherman going after Sap, I appreciate that too, right? He's protecting his guy. He's, he's defending his guy. As far as Sap saying, "Put a jersey on." I agree with that too. <laughs> you want to run that mouth? Put a jersey on, old man. Get out. Of here. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. I was a Packer fan when it happened. You know, I just become a Packer fan around that time. It seems like it was in the early two thousands. I became a Packer fan in oh two oh three, but uh, yeah, I remember watching the play and going as a Packer fan, going, I don't think that's thirty. Like, <laughs> I've watched that hit in high school my entire life. <laughs> People getting blown up like that. So, anyway. It, it sucks to see anybody get hurt, and obviously with the concussion stuff too, for uh, for sure. But uh, I understand your sentiment there, Doug. Um, if you don't like the hit, I get it. I completely get it for sure. Uh, let's see, bleeding green and gold in the chat says, based on how they're playing right now, I think there's a better chance we lose out than win, and that pains me to say. And I pick the pack at seventeen and zero every year. Yeah. Hey, listen, I don't think that's a hot, a hot take. To, you know, for someone to say, you know, with the way the team's performing, especially the defense right now that uh that they couldn't win another game the rest of the year. Am I hoping for that? Absolutely not. But I don't think that's a crazy hot take. They've got to they've got to break this little cycle here, man. And you better hope they break it before the end of the season. You know, it's like the poll we talked about last night. Jacob, did you hear about that poll we covered last night? No, I'm all confused reading through the draft the chat. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't understand what's happening. So this is what happened. Jason Wildey uh, well, Mark Towser, I think, was the one who put it up. Big Cat swooped in and took credit for it, which is hilarious. And Mark Towser called Big Cat out over it. Anyway, there was a poll put up, and it was – they asked Packer fans, Packer fans, would you rather the Packers win out and win a playoff game – or, I'm sorry, win out and make the playoffs and keep Joe Barry because obviously the defense is playing better and they've turned the corner, or would you rather lose out and fire Joe Barry. And it was 84% said they would rather them lose out in in the season on a five-game losing streak just so you can fire Joe Barry. 
I was just mind boggled, man. That's what we're referring to there. So anyway, what's your thoughts on that, Jacob? You agree with that, man? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, That seems like, yeah, shooting yourself on the foot. Um, I will say this, though, that I I thought about it, and I I won't know until tomorrow morning when I wake up what I'm feeling, what the vibe is out there. But at this point, I mean, what was it? I read a stat somewhere that the Carolina Panthers over the last eight games have not surpassed 21 points on offense. So, I mean, right now – with what this team has in front of them, the possibilities after the way we performed the last two weeks, knowing that all we had to do was beat very beatable teams. If we just had a pretty, you know, if you just played your game and did like an even, I don't know, a D plus job on defense, we should have won both those games. I'd argue. So if we go into this game, a game that we should win a game that we're favored in, where we know that we have to, we know exactly what we have to do. If we drop this game, I really will be on the, like, you got to fire Joe Barry, like, now. Because oh, yeah. Right yeah now, it, it really is at the point where the season now is based 100% off of whether or not his guys can just play, again, D-plus football to just get us. And, and I don't understand the concept of, like, we want to win out just so that I can personally get a victory, in my opinion. That, to me, is such a petty high school-type mentality <laughs> where it's like – I don't understand how you think that helps you whatsoever. Even if you are going to get rid of Joe Barry, I would argue even if we won out, you'd still, the same people could argue that they want to get rid of Joe Barry. Absolutely. I mean, That's what Mike Hebring said in the chat last night, Jake. It was like, how about we win out and we get rid of him? I'm on board. You went out and then you look back and you're like, okay, he couldn't get us against the Bucks, couldn't beat the DeVito led Giants, whatever happens in this Panther game. And then you got a Lions and a Vikings team that are coming down the stretch that could be resting guys and not even really care. So, yeah. It wouldn't be that much of a shocker for me if we did went out and fire him. I would be, I don't know, man. LaFleur seems like he's got some sort of like blood bond oath with this guy. But other than that. Here's the thing. People people keep saying that, Jacob. And I understand the sentiment I do. But what, what Matt is doing is Matt is going, and people hate hearing this. I know they despise it. He's going and watching the tape and going, okay, yeah. why why is this player playing off here? When the call was man coverage, well, he didn't get the call. Why didn't he get the call? He was on the far side of the field. Everyone, All other 10 players got the call, but the far side corner didn't get the call. So what did he do? He played it safe, like, oh, crap, I don't know what the defense call is. I'm going to make sure I don't get burned deep here, right? And, oh, by the way, it's a seventh-round rookie. So Matt's looking at that and going, okay, how the hell am I going to blame that on Joe Barry? Like, well, it's Joe Barry's – uh, responsibility to make sure he gets, you know, the communications. I got you. But the problem wasn't Joe Barry didn't communicate it in time. The problem was your seventh-round rookie did not look to the sideline to see the hand signals, and he was late getting his eyes over, so he waited for the call to come across. They went hurry up, and he didn't get the call, right? That's one example. Um, last week, when you watch the tape, what do you see? When you, when you see that, I know people are tired of hearing about it, but I'm just – I'm giving you Matt LaFleur's perspective here. I know the easy thing is to say, blame this guy. He's bad. Blame him. Last year it was blame Rodgers. He's bad. Blame Rodgers. This year it's blame – earlier it was blame Christian Watson. It was blame Jordan Love. It was blame Matt LaFleur. Now it's let's blame Joe Barry for everything. But when you go with that quad look, that quad right look, and they motioned over, when you're in a cover three look, which is what they were in, they were in a cover three zone, there's only one way you play that unless you're playing zone match, which we all confirm they're not playing zone match. You see key go to the flat. The goal is box on the three side, triangle on the two. So they had the triangle set up on the two, 
and there was one player missing to complete the box on the three side, and that was Quay Walker. He sat in the middle of the field and didn't cover a soul. And I guarantee you, Matt LaFleur went back. They watched the tape and go, what happened here? I don't know what Quay's doing. He knows they're in a three-by-two. Why is he sitting in the middle of the field covering no one, no one within eight yards of him? That's what Matt's looking at. Now, I think Matt's already made the decision, whether he's told Barry or not. I think he's made the decision to move on from Joe Barry. But when he gets asked those questions and people go, oh, he's just covering for his buddy, he's not covering for his buddy, boys. If it was a bad call, a bad play call, like you guys remember, if we rewind two weeks ago when that happened with Carrington Valentine on the, on the boundary, he said, yeah, we can't be playing that far off. That was a man coverage call. We can't be playing that far off. As soon as he said that was a man coverage call, I knew it was man on the field. I watched the tape. Everyone else was playing man. Carrington was playing like a soft zone. So you can tell one of these things, it's like the old, remember the old games, one of these don't belong. <laughs> it's like you can see, okay, that guy's zone defense doesn't belong in conjunction with everyone else. So when you look at it from that angle, what Matt was saying was you can't be playing that far off in man coverage. He wasn't saying Joe Barry can't be playing that far off. But why did people immediately go to that conclusion? Because that's what all the hot take podcasters are saying. We're playing so soft. We're playing so soft. It's, it is the new Aaron Rodgers refuses to throw across the middle. That's <laughs> what it is this year. So it's just you get a handful of people that trumpet that, trumpet that, trumpet that, and then – it becomes, okay, that's the that's the answer to all of the issues. And all I'm simply saying, all I've said all year is, the tape suggests there's a ton of mental mistakes. The coaching is horrible on the defensive side of the ball. They are not – they're not preparing the players properly. That, to, in my opinion, should be a, a justification for Joe Barry losing his job. There's no two ways about it. But to sit here and pretend like they're magically – these problems are going to magically be fixed – when you're drafting high, high athletic profile players, right, and then expecting them to play like high football IQ players, I think there's still going to be a little displacement there. Hopefully, we can get a stud in here at DC to clean it all up. But it's a bit of a mess right now. I don't know if that that made sense or not, Jake. It was kind of a long winded answer, but it just I get I get so sick of people berating people for not watch or for watching the tape, and then creating this false narrative like, oh, no, that's the answer to all of the questions. There were several plays like Mike Wall pointed. They were playing too far off. And in the past, what have we heard? The players have the freedom to play where they want to play. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. And that's where, like Paul Brettel said the other night, that's on Matt LaFleur, man. Like Matt LaFleur's got to grab his you-know-what and say, hey, listen, no more of this. He's signing off on it. So, anyway. Can I ask one? Um, <clears throat> did you get a chance to look into? I, I thought I saw a quote maybe from Devondre, something about the fact that he's not going to be playing through injuries anymore. Um, when we watched, did you watch him on film? Did you see that he was basically in position the right way, but his body wasn't just letting him? There, there's two two specific plays. As soon as you ask that question, two specific plays come to mind. There was one play, the 40, 52 yard touchdown, whatever it was, where Godwin caught the pass in between two defenders, Dre is driving on the ball, and he's literally like this. And he just comes up a couple inches short on the pick. Like, he's he's literally – it's going to be a pick six. We've seen that from him, right? Remember the Washington game last year? He was so late breaking to the ball. When I say late, it's like he couldn't finish. He's, he's dealing with some neck and shoulder stuff, like almost like a stinger top, like a serious injury. So he's not 100%. As soon as that play happened, I was like, God, Dre looks slow there. 
it's either he's hit the wall or it's the injuries. I lean toward it's the injuries. You don't just forget how to play football all of a sudden. Your body goes down that quick, right? So he's playing hurt. He should have had the pick six, right? The second play was actually highlighted from Mike Wall on his breakdown where they come to the line. They do a little pre-snap shift, I believe. And Dre looks over at Quay and he's communicating with Quay and he's telling Quay something and Quay doesn't get it. Quay's just looking in the backfield. There's no communication whatsoever. Quay's just like, this is what I'm doing. I don't care. You can go to like, I don't know, earlier in that game. It might've been a little bit later. You see Rudy Ford one time. They may, they make a pre-snap shift. Rudy calls out a sign. He calls, he calls something out and he's trying to get attention. Nobody looks at Rudy. Nobody looks at Rudy. Rudy is jumping up and down, throwing his hands up like this. And he looks at the sideline and goes, and he just bails out and covers deep down the center because he was trying to make an adjustment. He was trying to get a call from, okay, what, what are we doing here? There's no communication. Coach K, private practice, Cameron Indoor facility. I hate basketball with a passion. I hate it. But being in a private practice with Coach K, I'll never forget, he blew the whistle, grabbed the ball, walked over, and you could hear it. And he didn't have a microphone either. We're sitting on the sideline just as business owners studying leadership. He said, there is no communication. He said, when, when you're not communicating with your teammates, you're in your own SHIT. He said, I need you in our SHIT. Screamed at the top of his lung, blew the whistle, and they went right back. Communication is huge. When you mention communication, all of the Joe Barry haters are, I'm so sick of it. It's an excuse. Fire Joe Barry. Fire Joe Barry. If the players aren't going to communicate, it doesn't matter if you've got Vince freaking Lombardi back there calling defense. It doesn't matter. If they're not going to communicate with each other, they're going to continue to struggle. It's going to happen. Now, you need a leader in here who's going to force that communication. Those two plays, though, Jacob, that's what stood out to me. Dre late on the pick, what should have been a pick six, perfect play call, late to the spot. You could tell the injury's hindering. The second time, he's trying to communicate with Quay, and Quay is just, I'm not hearing it. And then that one play where they did the pre-snap shift, you can see as soon as they did the pre-snap shift, everyone else moves in place to play their box. Essentially, when you've got three receivers, you always want to stay plus one on defense. Two receivers, you play triangle, plus one. Three defenders creating a triangle, one deep, two underneath. You Close them in with that triangle. With three receivers, you play what we call box. You got three receivers, you play plus one. You got four defenders, two up top, two underneath. Quay was going to be the inside underneath corner of that. As soon as the ball snapped, you see Keyshawn go to his outside corner. You see the other guys move in position, and Quay standing in the middle of the field covering a ghost. And it's like they literally have three on two on that side of the field. It's technically three on three, but the safety's deep because he's completing that, that corner, that, uh, that, uh, that high corner of the box. So. Communication injuries, you name. Well, communication Guard. is it Clayton. Um, like uh, in lacrosse, man, if uh, every time it seemed like we got scored on, it's cause we weren't talking. I mean, you got, you got six guys passing the ball around. You have to keep saying, you know, help right, help left. Who's sliding, who's hot, all that stuff is, I mean, you need it. Um, you need it in that second. It's not like we can wait three seconds for it to go around the corner, you know, around the horn one more time, and then they're dodging. So it's, um, right. you know, communication is absolutely key. And and to think about it, I mean, we're what eight losses, five of them were one score games, three of them were two score blowouts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then you know we we won what I think it was three one score games. So the team is, it's not like they're not there. It's not like they're, they're not close, but we're learning from those. And I think that, uh, you know, if, um, if uh, Matt, Matt keeps them on the right track and this defense keeps grinding, I really don't think that 
they're going to be in bad shape if we keep moving forward with this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, here's a good question. Doug in the chat says, was Joe Barry better on the sideline? That's the other thing, too. You're hearing people now say Joe Barry needs to be on the sideline so they can, can, can communicate. Joe Barry said just the other day, and this is common knowledge, there's no better communication just because you're on the sideline. You're still speaking into the headset to the green dot, right? It's not like you now randomly because you're on the sideline, you can communicate with everybody on the field. Mm -hmm. There were coaches on the far side of the field trying to communicate to everyone on the defense, here's the play call. We're going man coverage. We're going cover one spy. And Carrington didn't get it. Joe Barry being on the sidelines magically not going to fix that. But right. I understand the question, Doug, and I'm not saying you're saying it's magically going to fix it. I just know there were fans last year going, he needs to be in the box. He can't see down there. Now he's in the boxes. He needs to be on the sideline. He can't communicate with us. Like, guys, please, we're embarrassing the hell out of ourselves. Either like, way. Right. Like Either way, the, you lose comms at 16 seconds, right? So if the last 10 seconds, that's all on the players. The last 15 seconds, they got to make those adjustments on the field. There's no, you know, you don't have someone in your ear telling you what to do. Right. Another, another, you know, since we're talking about embarrassing, Omer said there's another poll that said 90% same scenario. So it was actually, it went from 84% to 90%. That's why I've got to the point now with Joe Barry, the same as I did with Aaron Rodgers. I, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, I just like, I just want him gone now so we can move on and we can all stop arguing over this crap. And now this year it's bang. It started with Christian Watson and that, you know, Christian Watson had those two games and shut all those guys up. Right. And now it's all right. Joe Barry's the villain now. All right. We get rid of Joe Barry. It's going to happen. I hope it happens. I hope we bring in the sharpest, you know, up and coming defensive mind in the league. But as soon as that happens, there's going to be somebody else next year that needs to be fired, needs to be cut, needs to be traded, needs to shut up, stay off social media, not speak to the media at all. There's going to be somebody that becomes the new villain. And as a fan, I've got to get better at just ignoring that crap. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's embarrassing, man. Like right here, Doug points it out. Uh, for the chat, Big Cat is a barstool sports knucklehead Bears fan who runs his mouth on social media. They teed it up for Packers fans to absolutely embarrass themselves. And we stepped right in the dookie. Right. And we didn't just step in it. We slipped, fell in it, got it on our pants. We're rolling, rolling around. around in it. It's embarrassing <laughs> as a fan base, man. Like, come on. Better than this. You heard you heard uh, our boy just now, Daryl Thompson, talk about it. When I got to Green Bay, it's like these fans. Well, to this day, when I go out, he said, I "I'm not a Hall of Fame player. You know, I'm not one of those upper echelon players." So I think he played four or five years with Green Bay. He's like, "But everywhere I go, if they find out I played for the Packers, it's like royalty. Mm -hmm. Fans love us. Like that's the fan base we're a part of. That's the fan base that needs to be the loudest." Um, we knew it was going to be a down year. We already hit the floor that we talked about of six wins. We get six wins. All right. Do we have the quarterback? Bang, we got him. Matt LaFleur getting this offense rolling. Got it. And it's just like we we continue to try to find ways to embarrass the hell out of ourselves as a fan base. It's just uh, drives me crazy. Uh, Sideline report. I didn't want to talk about this today, but you know how the chat is. always. Uh, they put a quarter in me, as Jacob says. Um, Sideline report says, after some fast research for the NFL playoff tiebreaker scenarios, first is head-to-head. -head. So if Green Bay defeats the Vikings head-to-head, -head, it's one-to-one. -one. Then the next tiebreaker is the division record. Okay. So we definitely that. need them to lose to the Lions on yes. that division record. Definitely. Yeah. So again, the way I'm seeing it, we need to win out and every NFC team needs to lose. And you get a situation like this. Yes, we're pulling for the Lions. Absolutely. So that's about the that's what I was screaming five weeks ago. You knew it was going to be a tie race. It was like 
you 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 just want all these NFC teams to lose. I don't care who's going to win what division. We need to win as many games as possible. We need every NFC team to lose. The only other one question I had, Clayton, was what do you want for uh, uh, Arizona Bears? I don't think I saw if you had one circled there. Um, who who'd you want to win that one? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me um, because in order for the Bears to – I think they're eliminated. Aren't they eliminated from – I'm not even sure if they're eliminated. Any of those teams that are below the Packers, it's going to take the Packers losing for them to have a shot anyway. And if the Packers lose, they're not in the playoffs, so I could care less. Right. You know? I just want Justin Fields to look even worse than he has all year for people like Big Cat so they can continue to waller in it. And make yeah, it get the win. Look, not Don't look good, but get the win. You know, then push their draft spot back. Right. If you guys would take a second, hit that like button for us. We'd appreciate right there, it. Uh, that way, it. other Packer fans, yeah, right there. That way, other Packer fans can uh, can find this podcast, find this channel. We appreciate y'all hanging out with us here on Good Morning Lambo. Um, sideline report says, I believe Joe Barry will have his job saved only if Green Bay has a deep playoff run. Let's do yeah, it. Even then, even then, I don't know if he would. You know, I think it would. When you say deep playoff run, like NFC Championship, yeah, I could see that being the case. You know, but. uh I just want it to be over. I want the whole thing to be over. <laughs> they broke me completely. I'm like, I'm done. All right. Um, and all we did all year long was just try to point out the tape. And it's like, if your message isn't fire Joe Barry, I don't want to hear from you. You're an idiot. You're a moron. Shut up. Let's all go on a screaming, cussing rant live on Twitter and uh, make asses of ourselves. So not buying into it. Green, Bleeding Green and Gold says, I agree it makes no sense to fire Joe Barry in season at this point as we have no experienced play callers on staff to step in, but blank. Fill in the blank. <laughs> I don't know what he's asking there. Help me out here, Jacob. You're good with this. you got a, a higher uh, – He's asking us to name basically anybody that's currently on staff that would be up to the task of taking over the defense. Um, honest, I don't know. I, don't, I guess – I don't know. I'll tell you. I'll Good tell you who would be in line for it right now. Um, it'll just take a quick search here. Packers, defensive, passing coordinator. Passing so the passing game coordinator right now is uh, – it's not saying uh, – Greg Williams, is that right? Yeah, he's the passing game coordinator. Remember Greg Williams they just brung in from – was it Arizona or Houston? Oh, yep, yep. So if he's the passing game coordinator, typically that is the next in line. Has kind of been my experience with it. Um, so he would probably be the play caller. You know, they brought him in last year. Think about this: if you were to let's 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 cue up the conspiracy music for a second. <laughs> um, so when you look at what they brought in last year, we would all agree there was times last year that Joe Barry was on the hot seat, right? Now, obviously, against Detroit last year, he did pretty well. Um, it was Aaron Rodgers that lost those games, to be honest with you, turning the ball over against Detroit. We should have been in the playoffs last year. I put that – that especially that game in Detroit, Aaron Rodgers with the RPOs just hitting hitting defensive linemen in the helmet in the face with the football. <laughs> Not a good look, right, and linebackers. But uh, they bring – you know, with, with Joe Barry kind of being on the hot seat last year, you bring in Greg Williams, that probably would be next in line. It almost makes you think that LaFleur went out and tried to find a replacement for him to put on staff if it didn't work out early this year. The problem was you were top five, top ten in scoring defense, and you couldn't justify getting rid of him. Now, it it would come up in waves. you give up a ton of rushing yards. The fan base would get loud about it. Matt LaFleur would say, yeah, that's the tapes just showing people are missing tackles. They're not they're not meeting their run fits. When he explained the, the, the one-back one run gap, that should have shut everybody up about the run defense. Essentially what he's saying is we have everyone assigned to one gap 
You can't make it any more. Amelia, you played football at a low level. I get it, but you can't make it any more simple than right here. Don't let someone run through this hole right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you, when you don't get to that hole and then you miss a tackle, how is that on the defensive coordinator? Right? Mm-hmm. You so don't you fill know. your hole. That There's an open gap right there. You don't right. fill that hole. It's a, it's a wrap. Um, but no, that's exactly it. And, and I kind of like where you were, where you were going with that. Imagine if Matt was thinking that far ahead and say, Hey, let's bring someone in kind of like how we did with, with love, right? Let's bring them in, sit them behind everybody. See how this, see how this team works, see how it runs around. And if he's really the guy, if we, if we've seen enough in practice, you know, for him to be that passing game coordinator, setting all that up, um, you know, maybe, maybe we hire from, you know, within that, that was his plan all along, but give him a year under his belt to see how this defense works and everything. I don't, I don't actually know, but you know, that's always a possibility. Jacob, what do you want to see on the surface? I know you've been busy here lately. What do you want to see happen to this defense, man? I know, I think we all agree we want Joe Barry gone, right? Uh, Across the board. Nobody here wants to keep Joe Barry, right? No, I mean. Okay. Okay. So what, what kind of, is there anything specifically it doesn't even have to be a specific scheme, Jacob. It doesn't have to be a specific name. But when you think the next defensive coordinator, what's the what's the top priority for you? Is it attitude? Is it what what is it that you say? All right, I want someone to come in here to to, to revamp this defense. My ideal candidate is going to be a younger ex-player, similar mold to Dan Campbell, ex-player, like, that kind of stuff. But I, you know, the, the I want him to look at our. I don't want him to just look at a, a group of guys and be like, well, there's eight, nine first rounders. That means that they're all fast and they can all do this. So I'm going to do this. I want them to look at each individual player and be like, are they good at football? Is he able to cover? Is he, if I employ this concept or install this concept, does he understand what that means? Do I have a seventh rounder at cornerback that should I need to tell him that he needs to look over to the sideline before the ball snapped? Or is that something that's so fundamental that, we've covered that in day one, day two practice so that it doesn't have to be in the mid season in the game where we, you know, I get, he's a rookie, but you know, certain little things like that. I want to be covering the fundamentals, but at the same time, understand the capabilities of the group of guys that I'm in and a good coach, in my opinion, and a good boss, a good leader, all that kind of stuff. You don't just plug round pegs into square holes. You, you fit what, you know, you, you play the hand you're dealt kind of thing. And I feel like that our guys for the last two, three years have just been forcing what they think should work for the guys they have. You need to just play a little bit, um, learn how to roll with the punches and kind of just, I personally like, I, I feel like we need to get rid of some of these guys too. If they're not going to, we've got, you know, I love pressing, but is he, is he really, I don't know what he's doing necessarily for us on a, like an explosion level. Rudy Ford. I think I've given that guy a chance. I feel like when he's on the field, he's more of a liability. I always seem like I see Rudy Ford chasing somebody down the field. Jair kind of over it like you know i'm just kind of we make something like either become kenny clark is so up and down i feel like you know the only guy that i legitimately constantly am just like well i don't have to ever worry about him is rashawn gary and i think if, if you can only say that about one person on your defense consistent consistently then that's an issue so yeah no i, I think it's very well said uh margin cron in the chat and jacob you go when you need to go but i know you probably got a stuff to yeah, do. i gotta bounce Cool, man. Appreciate you hopping on, dude. It was good to see you. We're, you we're way gonna, over here. So, uh, you guys going to be around for a Christmas episode tomorrow? That sounds pretty fun. I'm, I'm trying my best to do a pregame show tomorrow. We're supposed to have a dinner. So, I, I think if everything works out, we'll do a pregame show and then we'll be able to do a postgame show later. It might not be immediately following the game, but it'll be just like a later, later yeah. evening show. But yeah, pregame show should be on, on the books for 10 30 Central time. 
All right, Emilio, you got that 1030 Central? 1030. All right. I'll be there, guys. Go, Pat, go. Merry All right, Christmas. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas. So, uh, Margie Cron in the chat says, need need an attitude guy, um, or you need to add attitude guys, I should say. Uh, completely agree. People don't like to hear that, but I agree with it. Mm-hmm. Derek Kay pretty much saying the same thing. We need dogs. Uh, sideline report saying we need some nasty. It's everything that my, that uh, Mike Daniel was talking about the other day um, on the uh, Wildey and Tao show, which, by the way, if you guys haven't watched that, it's probably been edited now. He dropped an F-bomb, and I created a GIF of Jason Wildey. You should see Jason Wildey. He's just smiling and everything. He drops an F-bomb, and he goes, <laughs> we've got that GIF in the holster now. I tagged him the other day on Twitter, like, we're going to be using that one. But uh, that's what Mike, Mike Daniels was talking about. He said they appreciated it in Detroit. They appreciated it in Cincinnati, but when he was in Green Bay, he was more or less told, hey, we don't need that here. Just just calm it down a bit. It's like you need some of that nasty. You, could you imagine Ray Nitschke being quiet on the Packers? In right. The, you know, under Lombardi. You know, Willie Davis was kind of that quiet leader, but he really – he was like Reggie, man. He was one of those guys that he was just in the quarterback's face every single play. You didn't need to say anything, but you need a little nasty on that defense for sure. Um Let's see here. Omer in the chat says what he said, 100% attitude and toughness, guys, with Musgrave and Kraft mentality. You're kind of seeing that on the on the offensive side. And at the helm, you've got Jordan Love, who's just this stone cold. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I love, I love Jordan Love's demeanor, man. I think he's going to be a great quarterback. Right, because him. Jordan Love would back that up. He would back up Musgrave Kraft in that kind of demeanor, but he doesn't need to sit there and preach it all, all day. You know what I mean? He he can sit there and kind of guide you know, he'll he'll call them in off season. Hey, everybody come in. Let, let's go ball out. Bring in eight, ten guys um, and run routes and all that. But he doesn't need to sit there and preach it all day long if, you know, Musgrave and Kraft are showing up doing it. Right. For sure. I uh, just want to take a quick second, guys, and w- raise some awareness here. You know, we usually give away jerseys here. every. Uh, we try to do it every other week during the season for our YouTube listeners. Um, or our YouTube members, I should say. What we want to do this week, if you guys will go to Matt Ramage's Twitter account, at Matt Ramage, you'll see a GoFundMe for, I think it's a coworker of his, mm-hmm. uh, their little uh, baby girl. Um, I think it's it's either Aria or Aria. It's probably Aria. Um, so. She's uh, got a battle with leukemia right now, and we are raising money there for the family. Father's got to take time off of work to be with her, and obviously he's, it's going to be time without pay. It just amazes me how. We don't have something set up in this country of ours where a dad can go be with his daughter and not have to worry about keeping the lights on in his house. I just feel like as a society we could be better. But anyway, that's the goal of this to the best of my knowledge. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know all the details. I know I trust Matt Ramage. Matt Ramage is absolutely awesome. Uh, You guys, if you're following this stupid little channel, I promise you you're already following Matt Ramage. He's he's great. (laughs) But what we did was as Packernet Podcasts, um, the Packernet Podcast Network, we're donating an autographed Paul Horning jersey, okay? So it's autographed by Hall of Famer Paul Horning, the golden boy. Um, anyone who donates to this GoFundMe will be entered into a contest, a drawing for that autographed Paul Horning jersey. So um, it, here's the other thing, too. Whatever the minimum donation is, I don't even know what it is. If it's a dime, that's better than nothing. Let's do everything we can to get this money raised for this family. When I checked back this morning, we were closing in on that $5,000 goal. Here's the way I see it. Anytime you set a goal in life, business, sports, anything, don't just try to hit the goal. Mm-hmm. Blow it out of the damn water. Right. Blow past it. Well, I mean, even from last night, Clayton, we were just talking about it. Uh, last night, we were a couple hundred, or, you know, shy of a thousand. Now it's, you know, you're pushing 4,500 just from, you know, just from everybody in the chat, everybody that watches, all that, all that helps, man. Every little bit, um, you know, is there for them and the family. Yeah, for sure, man. 
let's uh let's just be a blessing. We say it every episode. Let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. There's an opportunity to do it. I know that we're going to be donating as well, uh, as well as the jersey that's been donated. Um, it's the least we can do, man. I, I can only imagine. Like this little girl should be worrying about doing kids stuff, right? Not fighting for her life. And the least that we can do as fellow Packer fans, um, and uh, and like I said, fans of Matt Ramage, friends of Matt Ramage, is just just throwing a little change into the pot to help out. So uh, never like to ask for money, but um, in this situation when a, when a little baby girl's involved. We got to do what we got to do as a fan base to, to bond together. So, um, with that being said, Emilio, let's get out of here, bro. Um, what do you got for me? Parting thoughts, bud. A little bit of football today. Let's uh, hang out, make sure everybody's got their presents wrapped and all that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> make sure we're ready for tomorrow's game. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a big one, folks. Um, are we going later tonight? No, right? It'll just be tomorrow morning. Um, we're going, I think we're going later tonight as okay. well. That's the plan. Yeah. Okay. We'll do a PTA tonight at seven central eight Eastern. And then tomorrow we'll do a pregame. Like I said, the post game will probably be a little later than normal, but we'll still get in there. And hopefully we're talking about a dub and playoff hope still alive. Right. Yeah. Um, 100%. nonetheless, we're still got, whether they, whether they win or lose tomorrow, you still got things that we're watching. We want Jordan love to continue to build on this, this great first year starting campaign. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and obviously create momentum into next year for sure. So uh, Bleeding Green and Goat says, I'm a computer idiot. Hey, welcome to the club, my friend. If you've seen this whole contraption I've got set up here, and I look like a mad scientist over here trying to figure it out, uh, an illiterate mad scientist trying to figure out how the computer stuff works, I relate, man. He said, I'm a computer idiot. How do I find uh, Aria's GoFundMe? Is that a Twitter thing? You go to Matt Ramage's Twitter account, okay, at Matt Ramage, um, and he'll have it pinned right there at the top. Actually, yeah. I've got it pinned at the top of my Twitter page as well, I believe. And I just tried to throw the link in YouTube to see if that pulls up, but it doesn't look like it showed up on our end, but it did on uh, on the live chat, so I'm not sure. Yeah, they're kind of weird with link link uh, you know encryptions and things like that in the chat. But uh, again, go check it out on my Twitter at Packers underscore at, uh, access, or you can go to at Matt Ramage. So um, that being said, we're way over. Derek K says, I don't know why I've been in here with you knuckleheads for 80 minutes. But 80 minutes. He's been waiting for his John Deere green all the whole time. <laughs> you ask and you shall receive. John Deere green on a hot summer night. Hero Billy Bob loves Charlene. You gotta love it. Chris in the chat said, if you don't have Twitter, don't blame you one bit, by the way. Uh, I just Google GoFundMe, Aria, and it came up first choice. So just type in A-R-I-A into Google with GoFundMe, and it should pop right up. So appreciate you guys and gals. Thank you all so much for that. I want to give a special shout-out to Daryl Thompson. We're definitely going to be helping uh, promote for his uh, program there that he's got uh, moving forward with uh, older options, him helping the youth there in the, in the Minneapolis. St. Years, Paul. Man. That's awesome. What an amazing man. Um, it's so well spoken. He's got that radio voice. As soon oh, as he gets on the mic, I like, yeah. Boy, it's gonna be it's gonna my voice is gonna sound like razor blades <laughs> on a chalkboard compared to this dude. He got that Barry White going. So uh now he is uh Daryl's awesome, man. Really appreciate him connecting with us. It's gonna be cool to get his insight too. You know, he's uh one of those guys that understands the running back position inside and out for sure. So right. All right, with that being said, guys, thank you all for hanging out with us. We're gonna get out of here. We'll see you guys tonight for Packers Total Access, like I said, seven central. 8 Eastern. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go!